Hello and welcome to today's episode of Not Defined by Endo. Up to 50% of women with endometriosis experience infertility issues. This means that many eventually choose to go through the process of assisted fertility. Over the years, the success rates of assisted fertility methods have increased and one in four treatment cycles are said to be successful. For those less than 35 years old, the success rates increase to one in three. There are different methods of assisted fertility. We have intrauterine insemination, which is when sperm cells are inserted directly into the womb at the time of ovulation. In vitro fertilization is when eggs are collected from the ovaries and then combined with the sperm in a laboratory dish and any fertilized embryos are implanted into the womb. We also have the intracytoplasmic sperm injection where one sperm is injected straight into one egg and then the resulting embryo is inserted into the womb. There are also other means like sperm or egg donation and even surrogacy where another woman known as a carrier carries the baby to term. Today's conversation is with Christine Jones, an embryologist whose job it is to take care of the embryos from the time of egg retrieval to when it is safely implanted in the woman's uterus. Christine will be sharing with us what her job is like, what the process of IVF entails and what makes her job so fulfilling. Remember that I am not a healthcare professional. So whatever I share on this podcast is to inspire and empower you to take control of your health and your bodies. Please always speak to your healthcare professional before making any major changes to your diet or lifestyle. With that said, sit back, relax, and let's have a listen. So thank you so much for um, coming on the show. I'm glad to have you and thanks for saying yes to my invitation. Thank you so much for having me. So I'll just jump right in into my questions because I've got loads of them. So what is your, what brought you into this field? What made you become an embryologist? Is it something you always wanted to do or, you know, what's the path that led you to this field? Um, so when I was in year 12 in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I kind of decided that science would be like a broad subject that I could get a degree in and then specialise in something later on. Um, I have had multiple family members that have had to go through IVF. So it was always something that had been brought up in my family. It was always a positive thing. Um, But it wasn't until my last year of uni that um, I found out that um, the science degree that I was doing, biomedical science, you could actually get into IVF. I just assumed they were all doctors. So um, we had a meeting for our internships and the professor said um, that an IVF placement wasn't an option. So I jumped at that and I took that opportunity and I really enjoyed that. Um, after I finished studying, I did try and get a job in an IVF clinic and there were no jobs. It was very hard to get a job because there's not many, there's not many embryologists that are needed. So, because um, each clinic will only have, you know, five or 10 embryologists. So I did a master's degree in reproductive medicine while I was working somewhere else. And um, after I had the master's qualification, I was able to find a job. Um, so that's how I got in that way. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. I didn't think that it would be difficult to get a job because I, I would have thought that, 
they'll need more like as the world you know advances that will need more embryologists not the other way around like where i am i think there's only five or six clinics in the whole state um and each state only needs so many so and um in australia there's been like specific degrees that they have brought out just for ivf science for assisted reproductive technologies and so because they've brought out those degrees and people have done them like so many people have done them that there's there's been so many people trying to get jobs in the field um so unfortunately it, it is quite difficult it is quite difficult oh okay so many of our endo sisters um, are experiencing infertility and many of them have to go through the IVF route. So can you run us through what the process is like for those who are still trying to figure it out? Yeah, yeah. So for the people that have no idea what IVF is, um, so it's going to involve the, the first step after you've done all your kind of initial consultations with your doctor. Um, the first step once you start seeing a clinic would be the ovarian stimulation. Um, and that is when you have to inject yourself with some drugs. They might want to suppress your suppress your cycle first you'll start your drug there's lots of different protocols they can do but you'll start your drug protocol and um, after you start that you will start having monitoring regular monitoring with either blood tests or ultrasound some clinics will do both some clinics like to just do ultrasound um, and then as you get closer to your ovulation, um, you'll get a trigger injection. So your doctor will decide based on how your follicles are growing and how many follicles you've got when you're going to take your trigger injection. And that's taken at a very, very specific time. So that might be, you know, late in the evening one night, you'll get given a specific time to take that trigger. And then approximately 36 hours later, you'll go into the clinic uh, for a procedure known as the egg collection. So during the egg collection, you'll be lightly sedated. I think different, once again, different doctors will have different methods that they have for that, but generally you won't feel any pain, you'll be sedated. And they will insert the ultrasound wand with a needle on, alongside it and they'll draw out the fluid from those follicles. So that fluid then comes to us in the lab, us embryologists, and we pour that liquid out so we can see it in nice thin layers so that we can see those eggs. And they tend to glow under the light, they're quite easy to see. So we, um, we take those eggs out, we give them a little wash in a special media and we put them aside until the end of the egg collection when we put them in dishes that have been specifically prepared for you with all of your details on there. And that's a, um, that is a media, the different culture medias have been specifically designed to nourish those eggs um, and they're similar to the fluid that is found in the fallopian tubes. So after your egg collection, you will get um, you'll get to recover. You'll get sent home, and your hard work is done for now. And it's left up to us in the lab. So about four to six hours later, we get to inseminate those eggs, and that will be with either IVF or ICSI. So I'll come. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. So we'll do our IVF or our ICSI, and then the next morning is when we get to check for signs of fertilization, and then that starts the process of embryo culture. So um, after the embryos uh, have fertilised, we get to see how many have fertilised. Different clinics will have different days that they will check your embryos. Uh, so you may not get updates every single day. You may only get an update on the first day and then get an update when you get there from the transfer or you may get updates along the way. Different, every clinic's going to be different. But generally what we're expecting to see is that we have our single cell that's fertilised that will divide into two cells, four cells, eight cells, a ball of cells. That's just going to keep growing, keep growing. 
If you're having a day three transfer, hopefully they're around the eight cell stage. If you're having a day five transfer, hopefully they're um, what we call a blastocyst. Mm. And um, you will come in on the day of your transfer and um, you won't need to be sedated, but some people will be just depending on what their doctor wants and how the patient is and if they have any um, medical conditions that the doctor might want them a bit more relaxed for. Um, so you get to lay there and the doctor will insert a speculum just like you're having a pap smear. Mm. And um, so very sim similar procedure to a pap smear, but without all the brushing around. So they'll insert the speculum and then the embryologist will come in with that loaded catheter. And um, after, after the doctor places the catheter in, the um, he, he or the embryologist will um, displace the embryo into the uterus. And um, then after that, you wait to see um, whether you are pregnant or not. So it will be at day 14 after egg collection is when you'll be able to know whether you're successful or not. Okay. Wow. So I have two questions that just came to my head while you were talking. The first one is, is there any, so when you put the, um, the embryo in the womb, is that does the lady have to lie down or is there any movement you can do that would dislodge the embryo or once it's put in there then it's just there yeah so once it's put in there it's very snug and secure so some people are scared afterwards they're too scared to go to the toilet because they think that they that, that it's going to fall out so how it was described to me is that if you imagine like two pieces of bread and they've got like butter and jam on them and then you stick those two pieces together that is what the inside of the uterus is you know just imagine like is in there um, and there is a little bit of fluid in there it will move around a little bit until it's nice and comfortable hopefully um, but it's you can't do anything that is going to make it fall out okay yeah. okay and then you mentioned the IVF and ICSI so yes. what's the difference between the two and how do we know which is best for us so the difference between IVF and ICSI is with IVF, we're preparing um, tens of thousands of sperm and we add a measured concentration to the egg. So we'll have several, several eggs in a well and we'll add the washed sperm to, to those eggs and those sperm will get in on their own. So that's the less invasive way. And that's, um, that's what we'll do if, um, if we know that they've had good fertilisation before and when there's good sperm. And with the ICSI, that's when we actually have to strip the eggs. So we take off all the fluffy cells surrounding the eggs and we check which ones are mature because some eggs will be immature and some eggs will be mature and they're the ones with the little polar body and that tells us that they're ready to accept another set of chromosomes from the sperm. So um, we'll take those mature eggs and we'll take a single sperm and we will inject it in. So with IVF and ICSI, your IVF cycle, it's going to be exactly the same. The only difference is with us in the lab, how we inseminate those eggs. So the doctor will tell us whether we're doing IVF or ICSI and he'll, he or she will make that decision based on um, the patient's history. If, um, if it's their first cycle, if there's good sperm, if there's no known fertility issues, um, you know, if everything's looking good and in the lab we've prepared the sperm and we can see that the sperm is good quality. If we know that the patients have had natural conception before, then they're all good reasons to go ahead with IVF. Whereas if we know that there's poor sperm, if it's surgically retrieved sperm, if they've been through before and they've had very poor fertilisation, then those are the times that the doctor will tell us that we're going to do ICSI. Oh, I see. Okay, that makes sense. Um, also, the, so the, I think the process you've mentioned has been the process of um, putting, implanting the, um, the embryo right after 
but we there are other methods like freezing the embryos right so what yes. is there any would you say one is better than one or one has higher success rates than the other no so i wouldn't say one is better over the other but there will be ones that are better for your for your particular circumstances so the doctor will decide based on how you're going how your hormones are going how your endometrium is looking um if your endometrium's not um not developing well if you've got a lot of follicles you're at risk of ovarian hyperstimulation um then the doctor may decide that it's best to not put an embryo back in this environment and he'll, he'll tell us to freeze all suitable embryos on whichever day he chooses, day three or day five, and then the patient will come back in another cycle when her, when her uterus is in a more ideal situation. Whereas if, you know, if everything's gone fine, you're feeling really well after your egg collection and your endometrium's doing well and the doctor's not concerned about hyperstimulation, then he may be fine for you to have a fresh transfer. But I have heard that some clinics will only do one or the other or probably more frozen. I've heard that some clinics are heading more towards the frozen ones. Mm -hmm. But um, I wouldn't say that one is better than the other. I would, If it was myself, I would just want to do what the doctor thinks is best for my situation and my hormones. Okay. And um, are there any things we can do to improve our chances of success on our own, whether before um, the IVF process begins, during or after? <laughs> I mean, you're going to want to keep your body as healthy as you can and in the best position that you can. You can talk to your doctor if he or she thinks that there's anything you can do to improve your egg quality or sperm quality. I know that um, there's been some research going on into like growth hormone, DHEA, um, antioxidants for sperm. So you'd need to have a chat to your doctor if, um, whether he thinks your particular medical condition or situation would be suited to trying any of those things. I know particular doctors will have different things that they like to get their patients on. But um, I don't think there's specific, as far as I'm aware, it's your general don't drink alcohol, don't take drugs, be healthy, reduce your coffee, although you can still drink coffee as far as I'm aware, like not just not too much, um, you know, going out and getting, getting drunk and trying to keep your body as healthy as possible and exercise regularly. Um, as far as I'm aware, that's, that's the best you can do to, is to keep your body in the best condition that you can. Okay. Let's talk multiple embryos. <laughs> um, many women, because especially those going through infertility issues, we, we're just thinking, you know, we'll just put two or three in there. So I know. Um, <laughs> but I know that many doctors advise against this. So what's your opinion on this? And what would you say? Yeah. Is so studies do show that just, just because you're putting in two embryos, that does not double your chances of pregnancy. It doubles your chance of having a multiple pregnancy. And we do want to uh, avoid that where we can because multiple pregnancies are high-risk pregnancies. You do have a higher risk of um, things going wrong. You have a higher risk of cerebral palsy. Um, there's a higher risk of miscarriage. So we want to avoid the multiple the multiple pregnancies, but it's not just that. Um, how I understand it is that there's so many factors that can affect your success in an IVF cycle. It can be your endometrium, your hormones, the environment that's going on in there. There's so many things. And, you know, even say, for example, it's just your endometrium's not quite right that month and that's going to make that cycle unsuccessful, then you'd rather sacrifice one embryo and have one waiting for you in the freezer than to sacrifice both. Yeah. So, um, that it absolutely makes sense so that you put more in and you're going to have more chance but studies do show that that's not the case okay and what's the importance of pre-implantation genetic testing 
and what are the risk factors so i know some women you know are advised to do that those tests and others aren't so what would you say are the what's the importance of having those tests or what's what are the risk factors of having them as well? yeah, so i'm not a genetic scientist but i can give you the basics about that so um for certain groups of patients the yeah so the advantage is that you're getting to see the actual chromosome um chromosome arrangement of those embryos so you're getting to see when you do the genetic testing whether which embryos are genetically normal and which ones are genetically abnormal so obviously if you've got quite a lot of embryos you get to exclude those ones that are genetically abnormal you're not wasting your time with transfers on them um that now there's only certain groups of patients that your doctor will likely suggest this to, and that's your patients that have your repeat implantation failure, so they've had multiple cycles of IVF and have not had any pregnancy at all, your patients that have had multiple miscarriages, and the people that are carriers of genetic disease as well, because we can test cells from the embryos and we can see which ones carry that particular disease that you carry. So um, I think for certain groups of patients, it's great. Um, studies are showing that not everybody it's not recommended that everybody across the board has it done because there's risk to the embryos and um you know if you're in a good situation where you're young and you've got good embryos and your chance of pregnancy is good you don't really want to risk damaging those embryos with the biopsy until you know you know that you've had multiple fails so um i think for certain groups of patients that does increase their success quite dramatically because you are putting back a genetically normal embryo mm -hmm. I think it was your Instagram that I saw, um, I think a process of, um, you know, put, make, doing a biopsy of the embryo. It was so sad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it looks really, looks really awful, to be honest. Yeah, you can see the YouTube videos. I think I've got little clips on my Instagram as well. And it looks really brutal, but the embryos do an amazing job of regenerating and, you know, most of them recover fine. I mean, obviously, there will be some that are damaged and they do not recover, but the embryos, you know, generally have an amazing ability to regenerate those cells. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> So on saying that, what are the grades? Because I know that some embryos, like you just mentioned, can, you know, regenerate easily and they'll be fine. Um, so what are the grades of embryos and what does it matter? Does it mean anything to what the kind of child that will be birthed from that embryo? And is there anything we can do to improve those, those grades? Yeah. So um, I, I won't give you a particular, or I can tell you the way that I grade embryos, but each clinic will have their own grading system. So when you're talking about a day three embryo, that's what we call a cleavage stage embryo, and that's when you can count the cells. So hopefully they're between six to, six to 12 cells and we can count those cells. So we're looking at even those cells are so for your perfect grade one embryo we're looking for how even those cells are if uh, there should be no fragmentation at all and they should be lovely perfect evenly sized cells so that's your grade one however they are very very rare to come by so you do not need to get upset if you do not have any perfect embryos whichever grading system your clinic is with because those perfect ones are hard to come by mm. so your grade twos are your good embryos. So that's a good quality embryo. The cells may not be as perfectly even. Uh, the cells may not look as nice. So they may not be as smooth. We might see a little bit of, um, you know, like a tiny bit of little dots in the eggs or, um, and there might be a, a small amount of fragmentation. So that's fine. So I would say most, most pregnancies would likely be from those average embryos because it's very hard to see those perfect embryos. They're just not 
not very common. Um, and then when you get to your poor embryos, that's when you're going to get a lot of uneven cell size and a lot more fragmentation. Okay. So that's really threes. And then with your day fives, that's when you get to the blastocyst stage. So we would be grading um, how much that embryo has expanded and we're grading how good the cells of the inner cell mass and the trifectoderm are. So in the inner cell mass, that's the little ball in the middle that hopefully becomes the baby. We want nice, uh, we want a nice big inner cell mass. We want nice plump cells. And with the cells around the outside, we want lots of layers of nice plump cells. So most clinics would grade them on a good average or poor. Okay. So how do you decide for the frozen embryos? How do you decide to freeze? Um, either day three or day five, to, which is the blastocyst. Is it um, big based on the grades or the quality of those embryos that makes you determine what day you're going to freeze them? Yep, so some clinics, I've heard that some clinics will mostly do day three, some clinics will only do day fives and not do day three at all. So um, some clinics will do both and likely how they will choose that is they'll see how they're going on day two. And if you've got quite a lot to choose from that are doing well, they'll take them to day five. And if you've only got a few to choose from, then you may as well choose the best ones on day three and get them back in their natural environment or freeze where they're going to get back in their natural environment earlier um, rather than risking going to day five and none of them are going to make it. But um, you do have the chance that going with day three, they're actually going to do better than an artificial environment of the lab. Now, the reason why some clinics will only do day five is that their theory is if it doesn't make day five, it doesn't make a pregnancy and there's no point in doing it that way. So um, you will lose a lot of embryos along the way, which is one thing that a lot of people do not realise at the start, that from the amount of eggs you get fertilised to um, what you get on day five, you will lose a lot along the way, but that's good. Like if you're going to day five, that's the advantage is that hopefully you'll get left with a few good quality blastocysts and they're the ones that have the potential to make a baby rather than lots of embryos on day three where you're going to be wasting lots of transfers. Yeah, that makes sense. So is it possible for embryos to not survive a thaw um, on the day of implantation for the frozen embryos? And if that's possible, how does it happen and why? Yeah, so it is possible, but we do usually see more than 90% survive. So it is a very small percent that doesn't survive. And that's because the embryo, it is quite a harsh process for the embryo to go through to get frozen and then get thawed out. Um, how we do it these days is with a process called vitrification. And um, that is a lot, uh, a lot better way to freeze embryos now than how they used to do it. Uh, back more than a decade ago how they used to do it. So vitrification is they are getting frozen after they've been through their freezing solution. They're getting frozen pretty much instantly once we put it in that liquid nitrogen and that prevents the formation of ice crystals. So the embryos tend to do a lot better. Um, they are always the ones, the embryos that will not survive because they have been damaged in the, in the freezing and thawing process. Um, sometimes they are the poor quality embryos sometimes they are not so we do see good quality embryos that just sometimes do not survive that is rare is very rare but it does happen um and we don't know what's going you know we don't know why that happens or what would give us an indication that that might happen okay is it possible for some embryos to be thawed and then refrozen is that um something that can, for whatever reason and will yes. they still are embryos going to be fine if if you freeze and and thaw and then refreeze Yes, yes, absolutely. So especially for the patients that are doing the genetic testing of embryos, they may be stockpiling embryos, so they may have a cycle of IVF, get them frozen, have another cycle of IVF, get them frozen, 
have another cycle of IVF, get them frozen. And then when they've got enough, they will get thawed out, biopsied, refrozen until you have the results of the genetic testing. Um, and I do know that um, she had a day three and then it was biopsied, but then they didn't get the results. So then they, at a later date, um, they did take it to day five, biopsied on day five, and then it got uh, frozen again. And then it got thawed out again when they had the result and she did get pregnant. Oh and I think, yeah, frozen i think that was frozen and thawed at least twice and okay. uh yeah so that was genetically normal one and it survived and yeah that was a pregnant yeah yeah so it definitely does happen obviously we wouldn't do it more than what we have to um yeah. but yeah it does definitely um can, can happen and they can be fine oh wow this must be like a very interesting job to have what would you say, <laughs> what would you say is the hardest part of doing your job or I have to give bad news. So yeah, there, there's multiple steps along the way where there's potentially bad news. Um, for us, probably fertilisation results. We'd call the patient for fertilisation results and it may not be as good as they expected. We do have cases where there's failed fertilisation as well. So to call a patient and tell them that they've just gone through weeks of monitoring injections, they've gone through an egg collection procedure, they've had their embryo transfer and they've, you know, they, um, or not embryo transfer, sorry, but they've had their egg collection and they're waiting for their fertilisation. Um, yeah, that, that is really hard to have to tell them that. Um, and the other one is when they're coming in for a frozen embryo transfer and they've got one embryo left or one embryo only if it was their only one that was frozen and it, they might be sitting there waiting for their transfer and it hasn't survived and we have to go tell them that. Oh, so um, that is really hard. Yeah, that sounds mm. hard. So let's go to yeah. the happy part now. This might be obvious, but what's the best part about your job? <laughs> Giving good news. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doing the embryo transfers is pretty exciting as well. Like patients tend to be really excited when they come in for their transfer. Um, and yeah, I like to, um, the patients, because some patients we have a lot more to do with than others because we just happen to be the ones that call them on the days that they need to be called. So sometimes we'll have particular patients that we deal with a lot more and we like to follow them through and see if they get pregnant. I've had several friends that have come through and gotten pregnant. So um, because I know them, obviously remember them and I remember their case and I know when they get pregnant and that's always really exciting. Um, so there is lots of good parts to it as well. Yeah, I think seeing, I just, it's amazing because seeing a couple of one cell and then seeing a whole human being from that and being part of that process is absolutely amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So do you have any tips, final tips for anyone going through the assisted fertility process? What would you say, you know, what advice would you have for them or what tips would you have for them? Um, so I would say that um, there's a lot of people going through it and that I know that you, you're probably going to feel alone because it's going to be something that you're going through that you've never been through before. So you're going to feel really alone, but there are a lot of people going through it. There's whole communities out there of people that are sharing their journey. So I would say find, you know, find a community, find a group, find people that are going through it. Um, and the other thing is that a lot of people don't know at the start, as I was saying before, is that... Um, it, 
it's quite a, it can be quite a roller coaster and that's not to say that some people don't have success really quickly because some people have success really quickly um, but some people do get a lot of unexpected results so their stimulation may not go well and they'll get cancelled or they'll make it to their egg collection and their fertilization won't go well or they'll go through the embryo culture process and the embryos won't go well and they won't get a transfer. Or they'll make it all the way through to their transfer, they'll wait for their pregnancy test. And chances are, you know, more often than not, um, it is a negative because really within the best circumstances, I think there's about a 33% chance of pregnancy. Um, not with your genetically tested ones, those ones are a lot higher, but just generally speaking, if you're just coming through and having a sample for your first time. So a lot of people don't realise that they can be faced with setbacks at multiple steps of the way. Mm. Okay. That was very helpful. I think I've, en I've enjoyed knowing the process from start to finish. And I hope that women that are listening as well um, get a lot of value from this because I feel like a lot of people don't, they almost feel like they get rushed through the process, not just because, you know, the doctors are used to be, you know, just, you know, churning people in and out, but they, a lot of people don't even understand, like, what's the difference between IVF and ICSI and all of that. So this is really helpful. So thank you very much yeah. for, yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a great time learning more about the IVF process today. If you have endometriosis or any other condition that makes fertility difficult, please remember that you are not alone. There is so much work going on to give people like you the gift and the joys of motherhood. Don't give up. Continue to do your research and speak to fertility specialists who especially understand the impact of endometriosis on your fertility. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, I would love to know. Send me comments or a DM through my Instagram or Facebook page. Share with your friends and subscribe to the podcast. If you also have any questions to ask or topics you would like me to discuss, feel free to shoot me an email on info at notsdefinedbyendo.com. I love to hear from you all. All of this information is in the show notes. Until next time, my name is Teniola and remember, you are not defined by endo.